Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is January the 24th, 2023. And one of the things about January 2023 is the United States has a new Congress. And that means that it is season to talk about two laws. And interestingly, one of the first laws proposed is something that's been sitting on the shelf for a very long time, and it's the Fair Tax Act, which is actually a, a revolution in the way that people think about taxation, what it is, how should government be funded. And the Fair Tax may be new to a lot of listeners and a lot of people who've never heard of it, but it is very old to the group of people who founded the concept and have been quietly, persistently explaining and marketing it ever since. And on that note, it is my distinct honor and privilege to introduce to you, or perhaps reintroduce to you, Jim Bennett, who has been involved with the fair tax, I think, right from the beginning. And also, for those of you who are U.S. citizens living out the United, outside the United States, has had that experience as well. So, Jim, welcome. Great to connect with you again. How are you doing today? Doing great, John, and it's my honor to be invited to be on your program again. I always enjoy coming on. Well, that's because we have such great discussions about, about such important stuff. Let's uh, begin in our usual way. I wonder if you take a second to introduce yourself a little more fully than I've introduced you and how you got involved in the whole fair tax thing and et cetera. Why don't we begin there? Sure. Well, my background is legal. I've been admitted to the bars of New Jersey and New York, and my experience overseas was when I was sent over to Germany with Uncle Sam, where I was not exposed to the uh, challenges of being a U.S. citizen living abroad, but I was one of the 0.1% that decided to uh, leave the army and remain in Germany. I had to come back to the United States to be discharged, and then I turned around and went right back. And I was subject to the brunt of not only the German tax system, but also the American tax system and having to file two tax returns. Now, there were a couple of uh, distinctions uh, from my time and now. Uh, first of all, uh, one was not so favorable. I wasn't able to vote in a American, an American election for federal offices, but uh, something favorable about my time as opposed to now is that Congress had not yet enacted FATCA, the uh, draconian set of rules on imposed by the American lawmaker on foreign banks that some of whom have no branches in the United States that impose reporting requirements every time they open an account for an American citizen. So that was something I didn't have to deal with. But um, I came back in 1980, and sometime around 2005, I was driving up the New Jersey Turnpike on my way home, uh, and I heard this fellow on the radio named Neil Bortz, who is not in my market, but he's well-known everywhere else in the United States. He's in the Atlanta area. And he was talking about this thing called the fair tax, which I'd never heard of. But I was already a convert to consumption taxes as distinguished from income taxes because 
I always thought that consumption taxes were more efficient to administer. I wasn't really ideologically motivated, but when I heard about this thing, I decided I had to be involved. So uh, as I like to say to my wife's consternation, the rest is history. I've been uh, involved in the fair tax since uh, 2005, and I'm uh, on the uh, Board of Americans for Fair Taxation. I'm uh, the secretary and I'm a grassroots director, and I also have a New Jersey organization going. New Jersey is where I live. So, um, yeah, so here I am. Uh, I've been talking about the fair tax ever since. Well, that's, that's great. Um, you know, it's interesting as I listen to you today, you know, you say fair tax. I think for a lot of people, uh, you know, it's impossible to mentally combine the word fair and tax. I mean, it's it, it almost it almost seems so impossible, so improbable that, uh, you know, it, it must be some sort of a joke or something. But I think that's more of a, a reaction to what the U.S. tax system has actually become. I mean, I remember watching President Biden sometime in the last year who actually said the U.S. tax system is not very fair. Um and, you know, what's interesting to me is that I think almost everybody agrees with that. Uh, yet there is this sort of built-in uh, inertia resistance uh, to change because, you know, what I find, and we'll talk about what the fair tax is in a, is in a second, a little more detail, but, you know, uh, when this thing was introduced in the House, I mean, there's all this all this negative reaction, right? And... Uh, you know, and most of the negative reaction had nothing to do with the content of the fair. It was almost as though the unfairness of the U.S. tax system is so sacred. It's such a part of what we are as Americans that we should be subjected to this fairness forever. And we don't want to hear anything about any change to a fair tax system. I mean, I actually think that's perhaps not much of an exaggeration. Well, I would agree with you. My comeback to the people who say there's no such thing as a fair tax is how about a tax that lets you decide what's fair through your consumption choices? And that's exactly what the fair tax does. But you're right, there's uh, been so much inertia because the current income tax system has been around for over 100 years now, uh, since uh, 1913 or 14, when I think the first uh, tax was imposed, that uh, Nobody alive today or almost nobody alive today has never known anything different. So, and uh, people are somewhat fixated on the concept that uh, current income is the, is the measure of economic well-being. And in a way it's not, but I think, uh, I think you're right that we have to get, uh, uh, we, we have to educate people about um, what the, uh, uh, what, what the, what the effect is of, uh, taxing income and uh, doing what the fair tax is, which is a fair tax is a wealth tax. It taxes wealth at the point in time when wealth is consumed. And uh, that's when wealth uh, really affects people. Well, that's interesting. You know, on the whole, um, you know, it's funny. I think this is the third or fourth time we've talked over the last year, year and a half. And, um, uh, you know, honestly, I didn't even know what the fair tax was until I met you. Okay. You know, so for me, this has been not only an interesting learning curve, but, you know, I think a process of, you know, absorbing, absorbing the idea of this. 
But one of the things that I noticed recently was is the governor of, uh, what is it, Arkansas? Or, you know, there's another, there are a number of states who are beginning to, uh, you know, take the position they don't even want income taxes anymore, right? And That's correct. You know, and that is, I think, you know, an indication that, Jesus, I mean, maybe there's something wrong with the concept of the income tax, right? And and I sure think there is because it, you know, I mean, leaving aside the fairness of it, right? Um, you know, and I think I mentioned earlier that, you know, I once saw even President Biden sometime in the last year, you know, say, well, the U.S. tax system isn't very fair. Um, the the cost and complexity of compliance is so unbelievable, at least, you know, with respect to the U.S. federal tax system, but I think with income taxes generally, that too much of people's lives is consumed with tax compliance. I mean, do you think that, Jim, do you think life should be about something more than tax compliance? Absolutely. If we could spend, in fact, when the fair tax was first developed, uh, it was uh, developed by three businessmen in Houston. And they what they were complaining about was they would spend more than 50% of their time at board meetings talking about the tax implications of their business decisions instead of the business implications of their business decisions. And they thought, gee, if we could spend 100% of our time at meetings talking about uh, the business implications of what we decide, we could make products that are more uh, competitive in foreign markets and more responsive to the wants and needs of consumers. So we have, uh, so that uh, the big problem with income taxes, well, it's a number of things. I think, uh, first of all, they're, they are inefficient. Uh, the federal government admits uh, that about 25% uh, of taxes that should be collected or not collected, and that could either be overt evasion or it could be uh, just inadvertent noncompliance. So uh, they are inefficient. Uh, they are uh, they're complex, uh, and the stories are legend about uh, ten different accountants being given the same tax problem and coming up with ten different solutions. And 20 not 10 20 20 oh thank you for the correction <laughs> exactly um the uh it, it's a it's a drag on economic growth because it taxes the products of labor and capital which uh the fair tax does not it's intrusive and it's discriminatory and uh last but not least uh it's unfair uh, Democrats and Republicans may disagree on the reasons why the income tax is unfair, but uh, the fact is, it is unfair. And this is the, ours is the only tax that treats the mom and pop shop and the Fortune 100 corporation the same way for tax purposes. I, that is that is shocking. I mean, it is beyond shocking. You know, it's, uh, I mean, what you're right. I mean, what other country does that? What other country does that? Um, so, you know, I think there, there's, there's a million reasons why the whole system of taxation needs to be rethought. I mean, people are just absolutely collapsing under the weight of this. And, and you're absolutely right when, you know, when more of business or more of life 
revolves around what are the tax consequences. I mean, it's it's very, very clear that you've got a tax system that is about way more than collecting revenue. And in fact, the income tax system of Canada too, okay, I'm not you know singling out the United States, but the, these tax systems of Western democracies are now totally into social engineering and stuff, you know, designed to reward certain behavior, punish certain behavior, you know, in ways that really don't have a lot to do with, you know, the what I think should be basically, you know, the function of trying to fund the government. I mean, do you think there's any merit to that claim? I think there's a lot of merit to that claim. Uh, and I'm trying to think of uh, when I was in uh, in the army, they were talking about procurement. And uh, that's an, another example of government policy used to promote uh certain social goals or certain uh, goals that uh, the uh, government at that time, however it was elected, deemed to be desirable as opposed to certain things that are undesirable. And as we all know, over time, uh, I think the market tends to sort things out in an equitable manner. So we have, um, but uh, certainly I, uh, certainly with the, uh, with the fair tax, it's very simple. Um, we, uh, we, we tax, uh, sales at the point of retail in a way that's fair. And we can all, we, we can get into that. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's the same rate for everybody and, uh, nobody pays tax on consumption up to the poverty level. And above that, everybody pays tax on consumption at the same rate. So it's, uh, it, it's simple and, uh, people get to decide for themselves what's fair based on uh, what uh, what it is they buy and okay. what services they use. So before we get into the mechanics of the fair tax, um, I don't know if, you know, if people listening to this, have you ever actually looked at the Internal Revenue Code, right? Um, probably not most people, okay? But, I mean, it includes a number of different kinds of taxes, okay? It includes income taxes, Includes the transfer tax, estate and gift tax, includes employment taxes. It has uh, a section on procedure administration, which I sort of mentally think of as penalty taxes and application. You know, et cetera. I mean, it's an enormous number of different kinds of taxes that, you know, just it, it's as though the weight of it, I think the weight of it is uh, sort of, I'm, I'm just making this up I and mean, tell me if you like this. Let's, let's assume the U.S. has four different kinds of taxes, right? Income, uh, transfer taxes, state and gift, Social Security taxes, and penalty taxes. Okay, let, let's assume it's got those four groups of taxes. What is the weight of that? How about I offer this? The weight is equal to the square root of the number of taxes, or rather the square, the square of the number of taxes. So we have four different tax. If we have one tax, it would be one squared would be one, it's one. We have two taxes, two squared would be four. Now it's four times, right? We have three taxes, uh, three squared is nine. Now it's nine times and we have four taxes, right? You know, so, I mean, it's, it's enormous. The burden is enormous, isn't it, right? I mean, absolutely. And we should get that number back down to one. So that's or maybe 1.5. Right? That's where the fair tax comes in. And this might be a, a precisely way, way to sell it, right? One tax. That's what it is. 
what the fair tax is, uh, it's a, uh, first of all, it is a bill in Congress, H.R. 25, that's about to come to the floor for the first time in its history. And it uh, replaces, and replaces is here the operative word. It doesn't add on as uh, some of the opponents or some of the uh, people who are trying to make a profile for themselves would let you think it is. It replaces uh, subtitles A, B, and C of the Internal Revenue Code. So those would be your income taxes, including your corporate income tax, your alternative minimum tax, taxes on dividends, interest, capital gains. So that all goes away. Uh, your payroll and self-employment taxes. So that's your Social Security. Now, the Social Security programs stay. They're just funded differently in a, uh, from a broader base and a more stable base than what we have today. And then your estate gift and generation skipping taxes all go away. And because those three categories of taxes go away under the fair tax and the penalties that arise under those, uh, the IRS is no longer needed. And so funding for the IRS is phased out over a three-year period because you have to calculate Social Security benefits. Uh, you have to administer the taxes from the previous years. Uh, and uh, you have to fund uh, current litigation under the current Internal Revenue Code. So the IRS doesn't die right away, but the tax collection devolves to the states, 45 of whom already have sales taxes. Now, uh, what you're going to hear from the Democrats, uh, or I'd say from, uh, from that, that side of the aisle, uh, before they understand what the, the fairness issue is that, my goodness, this is a sales tax. It's regressive. It's going to be unfair to the poor. And if you don't make any adjustments, they probably have an argument because if you have a mom on food stamps uh, together with uh, Steve Forbes, Bill Gates, and Jeff Bezos in a, in a line at the grocery store with identical shopping carts, and they all have to pay sales tax on their food, um, it's uh, obviously uh, mom on food stamps is going to be hit the hardest by that kind of a tax. So what do we do about it? Uh, we don't, instead of exempting food, exempting certain kinds of clothing and things like that, because that, that makes the tax complex. We have no exceptions to the tax, but what we do is every household uh, whose members are lawful residents of the United States. So that could either be U.S. citizens or it could be non-citizens who are lawfully admitted in the United States, uh, gets a payment from the Social Security Administration. Because remember, the IRS is going away. And uh, so you don't want to uh, give that function to a, uh, uh, to a government entity that's disappearing. And the purpose of this payment is to untax that household for consumption up to the poverty level. Uh, so, for example, if, uh, let's say, Health and Human Services makes the determination, we don't make it because uh, we're not the experts in that, that uh, it takes $30,000, a family of four has to spend $30,000 in order to put food on the table and a roof over its head. Um, uh, the, the tax on 23% of that, uh, oh, let's see, that would be uh, 6000 yeah, close to $7,000. Now, that would be a pretty heavy hit uh, for any household, particularly uh, one with low resources. 
So uh, that money comes back in uh, 12 increments at the beginning of every month to untax that household for power, for consumption up to the poverty level. So up to the poverty level, nobody in America, regardless of what your income is, regardless of what your wealth is, pays a dime of tax on consumption. And above the poverty level, everybody pays tax at the same rate on consumption. Now, uh, what happens with federal funding? Uh, the rate for the fair tax is calculated to replace dollar for dollar the taxes that the fair tax takes away. So your programs, your the military, the post office, Social Security and Medicare and all the programs that the U.S. federal government funds uh, remain funded at exactly the same level that they're funded today. So uh, we so we take that discussion off the table as to whether the government ought to be spending money on uh, on the military or whether it ought to be spending money on social programs. We'll leave that to Republicans and Democrats. Uh, we just think that uh, we don't want that to be an issue. Uh, of course, the government will continue to borrow and we can't do anything about that. But the point is that uh, now we have a tax that everybody can see uh, when you go to buy your latte in the morning, the, uh, the the legislation requires the consumer to be given a sales slip, and it's going to show uh, the price of the latte, how much of that is tax, how much of that is the latte, and so people see how much the government costs, less borrowing, of course. So uh, if people can see how much the government costs today, they can't because if you have if you tax a corporation, what does the corporation do? It pays a tax, but it passes the tax cost onto the consumer in the form of higher prices on goods and services, and the consumer never sees the tax. Well, that disappears with the fair tax. The fair, under the fair tax, everybody sees how much the government costs uh, subject to whatever the borrowing is, and hopefully some people might start asking some questions about uh, should the government be uh, spending money on this or should the government be spending money on that? So I think uh, that in a nutshell is uh, what the fair tax technically is all about. Okay. So the, I mean, this of course is um, on the one hand, you would think that anybody in the United States who lives in a state where there's a sales tax, which is most of them, I think, you know, would be able to would be able to understand this, but there's something about the, you know, it's this, it's can, can Americans psychologically separate themselves from you know the need to, you know, be tied into this income tax thing. I mean, you know, the way you describe it, uh, you know, if you compare it to the income tax, it sounds to me as though, I mean, you know, apparently according to Mitt Romney, anyway, half of Americans don't pay federal income tax and. All right, so you still got a a lot of a lot of people who are not going to be paying federal 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 uh, fair tax. Sounds like they're going you know they're going to get the rebates, and then you know beyond that, um, my sense of it is that uh, you know the objection is that well well maybe people who are with a lot of income aren't won't be paying enough tax or something. I mean, but. You know, then the question becomes, it would seem to me, what's the purpose of taxation? Is the purpose of taxation to punish people or is the purpose of taxation to fund government? And, you know, I, 
would have to think that the purpose of taxation is is primarily to fund government. Plus, you know, you said something very striking that people could understand this tax. And, you know, that would be just a, a brand new concept for the American tax system. I mean, imagine a tax system that could be understood by the taxpayer. That that really is that really is phenomenal. Um, if you think about fairness, uh, what do the uh, uber wealthy do? Um, let's take, uh, I suppose, Bill Gates, if he wants to buy a yacht, um, he uh, borrows against his Microsoft stock. Uh, he pays a relatively low rate of interest. Or if he wants to fund living expenses, uh, he does. He doesn't pay himself a dividend. He borrows against the stock, and that's not taxable. So that's why we have these stories about the very wealthy people who have the ability to pay a lot of tax, a lot of income tax, but uh, they don't because they find ways to get around it. And uh, I think that's probably uh, what an Elon Musk would do. Uh, but uh, and a lot of people don't understand that. They think, well, gee, here's a here's a wealthy person. He can pay. I uh, can pay a lot of money so that I don't have to pay a lot of money. And it doesn't quite work out that way but no uh, it certainly right. does not work out that way and it actually i mean i think it could be reasonably viewed the fair tax could reasonably be viewed as a guarantee that the wealthy do pay tax of course when that whenever they whenever they buy something and uh, they they buy the new shiny stuff they're going to pay tax on it and uh by and today they don't pay tax because of uh, uh, various devices they use to avoid paying tax legally. Oh, so, it's all absolutely legal. I mean, it's funny. Uh, yesterday there was this article in the uh, Toronto Globe and Mail, Canada's leading newspaper, I suppose. And it was written by a journalist who was, you know, talking about how Microsoft Canada had reinvented itself in Ireland and, you know, going on and on about how, you know, this was, you know, an attempt to avoid tax. And, and what struck me about it was I was reading the article, went into some detail about how the treaty was used and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, as I read the article, I was actually left with a sense that, boy, you can be certain that Microsoft Canada was a lot, is a lot more tax compliant under Canadian law than the average Canadian is right in other words you know they're just absolutely complying with the laws as the laws are written and i bet you it's it's right down to the bottom line right down to the penny i bet you that this company is complying with these laws right it's just the you know the, the combination of the domestic laws and the treaties that result in this and what's interesting to me is that you know with this fair tax uh you know or as you point out right the wealthy uh, you know, it's income that's taxable. I mean, this is the this is the problem with income being taxable, right? That it's easy to avoid it by not having income. All right, there's a whole industry out there to help people not have income. But this guarantees that you know because people have to buy stuff, even if you hate the rich. I mean, if you really hate the rich, maybe you want the fair tax to ensure they have to pay tax too. Precisely, and uh, as you rightly point out. Um, this uh, uh, whoever uh, lives on by avoiding income tax by borrowing uh, against uh, their shares in the company, uh, when they go out to buy stuff, they're going to pay tax. 
and they're avoiding tax today because uh, they can figure out how legally to avoid it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's uh, well. Um, I think the perception of fairness, I think, is an important point, too, because uh, that's one of the reasons why we think that uh, there's going to be a lot more compliance under the fair tax. Uh, and right now, I think the government admits a 25 percent noncompliance rate. And we have a professor at the University of Jacksonville who's uh, calculated that the uh, noncompliance rate is a little bit south of a trillion dollars every year. And if we could just collect under the income tax, the amount of tax that's due, uh, if everybody were to comply down to the penny, we could probably plug the deficits that we have every year. And with the fair tax, we think compliance would, uh, uh, we think that non-compliance would drop by uh, 90, 95%. It has to drop because there's no way to not comply. It's impossible, right? I mean, you know, the tax is just basically collected by who you buy it from and, you know, gets remitted in some way or another. Plus, Mm -hmm. you know, it seems to me, okay, that the arguments, some of the arguments for this are, you know, you're going to have a very high rate of compliance in the 90s anyway, probably close to, you know, 98, 97% or something like that. I don't even know where you have 3% leakage, but there's probably always some leakage. So you got that. Second point uh, is that people can actually understand the tax system. You know, what right. which I think is, is uh, essential to the to the moral integrity of the thing. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's I mean, not. Joe's, yeah, Joe's garage. Joe's garage could always say, "I won't give you an invoice. You pay me cash." And yeah, a certain amount of that's going to go on, no question. But uh, with the fair tax, uh, a uh, a wholesaler and a manufacturer still have to register, even if they don't have to remit tax, and there will be a trail. So our uh, state tax authorities are pretty adept at figuring out if Joe's Garage is buying so much grease every month, so many nuts and bolts every month, and this kind of thing, that they should be uh, doing this much business. And if they're not doing this much business, their uh, their red flag is going to go up and uh, the, uh, the tax police are going to go in there and audit them. And it's uh, pretty simple to do, as opposed wow. to auditing an income tax return. And... I think uh, 90, 80% of retail sales in the United States and probably Canada as well are uh, through the chains in the big box stores. So you're not going to be able to make a deal with the uh, 17 year old yeah. the cash register. But you know, the other thing is that, I mean, I understand the, you know, the bogeyman of the local garage or the local plumber, or, you know, this sort of, this sort of thing. I, I, I kind of get that, but the reason that the underground, I think the reason the underground economy is alive and well is because of the perception of the unfairness of the tax system, right? And if you can get rid of the perception of the unfair unfairness of the tax system, then I think, you know, you'd go a long way towards, you know, generally, um, you know, making compliance the thing people want to do, right? Precisely. Yeah, right. you're going to have the, uh, I think the perception is important. And uh, and your collection points are going to drop by uh, something like 80 to 90%. Because right now, I think we have about 55 million uh, 
tax filers in the United States. And if that figure drops to, uh, let's say, 20 million, it'd be a bigger number than it is now that pay sales taxes because certain things are taxed under the fair tax that are not taxed today. And it does have a bigger base. But if the number of collection points drop, uh, it's easier to monitor the collection points that are still there. So what would people that? do? What would people do with their time now? I mean, you know, like this could free up a couple of months. You know, I mean, for Americans abroad, it could free up two or three months of, of of life units. What would people do with their time if they didn't have to fill out so many forms? Precisely, they generally comply they with the federal income tax system. What do you think they do? Would, 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 they, would the government have to set people things to do? It'd be a split decision between additional work and additional leisure. And probably many would opt for additional work and they would become more productive because they wouldn't have to deal with this extra layer of tax compliance on their business activity. Well, it's, you know, this is more than a tax on business or a tax on income. It's a tax on life. You know, it, it, which is what it really is. I mean, you know, this is the whole problem. It's, it's a tax on life. Okay. So, you know, I was amazed uh, and, and delighted to see this thing introduced uh, into the House. And, of course, what I saw, you know, Twitter and places like that was, oh, my God, look at the first thing the Republicans are doing. They're trying to defund the IRS. I mean, you know, like this, this totally insane stuff. And, you know, it seems to me that taxation, tax systems, it, it's just way too important to be left to congressmen. I mean, what's that great Mark Twain line? If I were an idiot or if I were a congressman, but I repeat myself. I mean, you know, this should not become a partisan issue at all. I mean, this is a benefit to the people of the United States. And, you know, it's, I think it's probably bad for the political parties because, it, you know, it, it, it reduces the main thing they can fight about every day, right? I mean, what would the political parties talk about? How would they wage war with each other? At the beginning of the fair tax in 1999, when we had eight co-sponsors, the rule was that if you were a member of one party and supported the fair tax, you had to bring along somebody from the other party. And so we had four Republicans and four Democrats co-sponsoring the fair tax bill. And that's the way it should be. It shouldn't be about uh, about, about uh, where the idea comes from. It should be about the merits of the idea itself. And in an ideal world, that's what it should be. And uh, I think that if uh, the uh, current atmosphere and the leadership on both parties in Congress were to change, then maybe individual Congress members would start looking at the merits of legislation, including the fair tax, and uh, they would uh, reject the polemics and uh, go to the merits. You know, as a uh, yeah, I, I definitely okay. I mean, this is about helping individuals and not about helping these, you know, these political parties. And I think that this really illustrates the extent to which 
Western democracies have become so party centric that the defining feature of democracy is now one party fighting against each other, you know, for no reason whatsoever. I mean, it's unbelievable to me how not only, uh, you know, are people, not only do people not understand this concept, but they're not even willing to learn about it. I mean, you know, it's amazing stuff. I mean, maybe some kind of somehow or other the political parties have got to be removed from tax legislation and and the the weaponization of the tax code has got to end i mean both parties are guilty of this uh and that's not what a tax code's about i think it's about trying to fund government not to go after your enemies well this is the first time in its history that the fair tax is brought to the floor of the house and as uh Many of you may know that was a deal that was made by uh, some insurgent Republicans as a deal uh, with Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, to get Kevin McCarthy elected. And the insurance they have that it's going to come to the floor and bypass the Ways and Means Committee, where it's been bottled up in the past, is that uh, one vote in Congress to vacate the chair uh, could cause the show that we saw all over again. And Kevin McCarthy obviously doesn't want that. And uh, he would still need the insurgent Republicans to uh, get him uh, uh, put back in the speaker's chair. So in a way, uh, we've seen a lot of political theater, but maybe it's working out for the best because for the first time, we're going to have a debate on the floor of the House about the fair tax and people will get to hear arguments against it and arguments for it. And if we have an honest press, uh, it should cover both sides. So we're uh, trying to, we're getting a lot of uh, press, including negative press, but in a way that's a good thing because it's getting people talking about the fair tax, which uh, if you get uh, conservative Fox News, I think their management has decided that uh, fair tax is not one of their um, endorsed uh, issues. And so uh, they're not going to let people talk about it. And uh, this is going to force that conversation. So hopefully something oh, good. will. Come. Oh, I, well, I think that something great has already come from this. And that is that it has actually begun a discussion about what a tax system should look like. You know, and, and that that in itself is fantastic. But you know, there's another interesting feature to this that would not be apparent to resident Americans, but for Americans abroad, um, you know, you mentioned that uh, when you were in Germany, you were subject to the U.S. income tax system, right, because of the citizenship taxation stuff. But for Americans abroad, you know, this would obviously, if the income tax act, if the income tax end, then so do the obligations of Americans abroad. So I would think that, you know, they would be very excited about this, wouldn't you? Americans abroad, I hope you're listening, because uh, you would be taxed. Uh, you, there'd be no tax on what you consume abroad. Now, if you move back to the United States, whatever the depreciated value of whatever you bought uh, when you uh, lived abroad uh, would be subject to uh, would be subject to the tax when you bring it back in. But as long as you drive your uh, Porsche in Germany, uh, you're never going to pay a dime of American tax. So. Uh, basically, they're going to leave you alone, uh, and you deserve to be left alone because having Americans abroad can be beneficial 
not only to the host country, but also to the United States, either by uh, helping American exports to that country or by helping foreign investment from that country in the United States. So uh, yeah, basically, you would if you live in uh, in Germany or any other country outside other than the United States, um, you're not taxed on your you're not taxed on your income, and you're not taxed on your consumption as long as you consume it abroad. But uh, when you go to the United States and uh, rent a hotel room or uh, eat eat a meal or uh, do what uh, consume anything else in the United States. You're going to pay tax on your consumption just like everybody else in the United States as long as you're there. And it's as simple as that. So, so right really, here. Really, what it does is, you know, to move this a little more discussion a little more theoretical way for a second, is it really turns the US into a territorial tax system. In other words, it taxes just uh, activity that goes on inside its borders and they, the activity they happen to tax is consumption, right? Yes, we stop exporting our tax law uh, to the rest of the world the way um, I think only we and uh, Eritrea do that. So uh, if, you're, if you're a US citizen living abroad and uh, you, whatever your last domicile was in the United States, you can now vote. So be sure that your representative knows that uh, the fair tax hr 25 is about to come to the floor and uh, tell your representative that even though you live abroad you vote in the united states for federal offices and you expect your representative to vote yes right i think this is an amazing thing as i say uh you know at a bare bare minimum i mean this is so exciting because it's actually generated for the first time in my consciousness that this has actually generated discussion of what a tax system should look like i mean never in my life it's all in your probably years too you know it's just been this assumption of income tax transfer tax social security you know all these different kinds of taxes with these incredible burdens of compliance. And here we have a suggestion to, to solve the primary goal of a tax system, that is to raise the appropriate level of revenue for a government in a way that gets rid of most of these problems. And although I recognize that there are people who will find it objectionable for any of a number of reasons, at the very least, it seems to me they've got to make an effort to understand that there are ways of taxation beyond you know what we're used to so my thought on it anyway so how are you going about continuing to go about i guess i should say getting the word out here i mean i, I think that part of the message has got to be that hey this is not a partisan issue this is not about the democrats this is not about the republicans this is about the american people right well john the first thing i'd have to say is thank you very much for putting me on a, a podcast like yours because that helps to get the word out. Uh, we do have a um, subscriber base of about 350,000 people, and uh, we put regular material out on that. Uh, if anybody is interested in uh, subscribing to uh, fairtax.org, just go down to get information, and we do not sell the database, so you're not going to get spam as a result of subscribing. So uh, I write a weekly column called Grassroots Corner. Our chairman, Steve Hayes, who's been on your program, writes the chairman's report. 
and then you'll see the fair tax guys from Florida. They, they put on a weekly podcast and uh, I believe John, you were on that at oh, one yeah, time on their podcast. Yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. So we try to, and uh, Randy Fisher uh, is uh, full-time social media. In fact, if you uh, ping him any time of the day or night, you'll probably get an answer. So I don't think the guy sleeps. Uh, <laughs> so he's, uh, he's very good on, uh, he's a big fan of Twitter because uh, he hasn't been, uh, Twitter has been very receptive to the message. Uh, I, I do, uh, I see my friends on Facebook, so I try to mix my messaging between fair tax and other topics so that uh, they don't say, oh, it's that uh, Bennett talking about the fair tax again. I'm just going to tune him out. So it's, uh, um, so uh, we do what we can. We, uh, we're trying to put an advisory board together uh, and they might be able to bring in some uh, substantial uh, contributions. And we were thinking of, we have um, Mike Huckabee, former governor of Arkansas has already uh, agreed to be on our advisory board and he is. So he's going to make some whiteboards and some other infomercials. And uh, if, uh, if there's anything else uh, we can do, uh, we want to do it. Well, it's this is tremendously exciting, and uh, you know it's uh, it all started with you guys, you know, getting this moving, and it's amazing how if you stick with a good idea, eventually, you know, you at least get that idea into the public domain. And I, you know, I really encourage. I mean, there's no tax; nobody likes taxes, and there's no tax system that's perfect. But it does seem to me that this is far better than what we have now. I think there's no question about that. Okay. Uh, well, thanks so much for connecting with me today. And uh, I look forward to continue our, continuing our discussion. I mean, I really uh, am excited about this. And I, I, I'm sure you are too. And I hope that the progress continues. Because this is not only, I mean, this is like, you know, Charles Adams wrote the great book, uh, Taxes and Civilization, As Goes Taxes, So Goes Civilization. So this is actually an investment in the civilization of America. I think there's no question about it. And thank you website, so much for having me on. What's that? Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, for those of you listening to the podcast, uh, for more information, please go to www.fairtax, all written together, .org and learn as much as you can, uh, talk to people you know, and make sure your Congress representative knows uh, that you want the fair tax. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Okay. Thank you, John.